The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. Uh, We are going back in the time machine. If you remember... A few weeks ago, we took a look back at the coaching hires of the 2017-2018 coaching carousel. It was interesting because we saw like Dan Mullen at Florida, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. We were thinking like, wow, those are really impactful hires. We also had Chad Morris fired, Willie Taggart fired, uh, and um, a number of other hires that haven't worked out as much. Uh, We've got now we're stepping back one more year into the past, the 2016-2017 coaching carousel, uh, reviewing not only the hires, our thoughts at the time, and also, you know, how these different coaches are, the ones who are still in place, uh, how they're doing. And just as a a little tease, uh, as we're going to get into it in a little bit, I might argue with very little research done, and you know, April is time for takes with very little research done, that this is like one of the better coaching carousels that we've seen in recent years in terms of the coaches who got hired, the number of coaches that are still in place, and the fact that the ones who are still in place as they prepare for year five, I don't know how many of them are on the hot seat, but we'll dive into all that uh, in just a little bit. A piece of news from over the weekend initially reported. We didn't get a chance to hit it on Monday, but now that we've got the official press conference and the introduction, figured I'd, uh, I'd see what y'all are thinking about this as legendary running back Eddie George has now taken over at Tennessee State. Tennessee State is a a proud program. It's got a long list of NFL draft picks, and, you know, it's being tied to to Jackson State, not only because of Deion Sanders going to take over Jackson State, but Jackson State and Tennessee State were both, like, top HBCU programs. Tennessee State has won multiple uh, black national championships. And so, you know, John Merritt, by the way, is the Hall of Fame, College Football Hall of Fame coach who connects these two. He was at Jackson State. He was at Tennessee State. Uh, a lot of high-level success winning SWAC titles at Jackson State, Ohio Valley Conference titles at Tennessee State. Tennessee State's been, um, you know, about maybe middle of the pack. Uh, the head coach that Eddie George is taking over for does have a, a long win total. Uh, he's been there for about a decade so as Eddie George, who, like Deion Sanders, doesn't have a, a long set of you know coaching experience, he's been a mentor to a couple players, and I'm sure that you know, no one's going to doubt his knowledge of the game, but uh, as Eddie George has taken over at Tennessee State, uh, what's, what's our reaction to this, and maybe how does it compare to you know your level of intrigue when Deion Sanders took over at Jackson State? Because... I will say that for Deion Sanders at Jackson State, I I thought it might be a you know very much a one time thing, very much centered around Deion Sanders. Now that we've got Eddie George following suit, I will be more uh, I will entertain the idea that we could see a little bit of a trend going, uh, at least in terms of these former players 
coming and stepping in. We could look to college basketball. Where we're also starting to see that a little bit. Uh, what do we think as Eddie George takes over at Tennessee State? I think it's I think it's an exciting hire for Tennessee State. I think it's a very interesting hire for people out who don't really pay attention to football at you know at Tennessee State in those leagues. And I think that that's kind of the point because we've seen in the last year with like historically black colleges and schools that are largely, you know, African-American, there's been more of a tendency among top recruits to be willing to go to those schools instead of going the, you know, the more popular, the more national, you know, the nationally televised power five, you know, sec big 10 the major conferences and i think that that part of like we saw when jackson state hired Deion sanders was okay capitalize on that by getting a name that you know obviously Deion's a huge personality he's well known he's very charismatic he can bring some of that talent to the schools and now i think others like tennessee state's trying to capitalize on that same kind of thing by bringing in eddie george who's an all-time great college player he's a great nfl player he's a big name within the state of tennessee having spent most of his career you know playing for the titans to try to help bring some of that talent to tennessee state to get more of a higher profile because like you said chip they've, they've had plenty of success on the football field they've sent plenty of players to the nfl but that still hasn't really given them as far as a financial footing on this near the same level as what we get at the power five level or in the FBS level. So I think that this is kind of a step towards trying to capitalize on that. And I think that for Eddie George, if he's been interested in getting in the coaching game, I think this is a really good way for him to do it. Cause you know, this is, he could start off as a head coach. He doesn't have to go be like a coordinator or a position coach somewhere at the college level where somebody honestly with Eddie George's profile as a former player, with you know the money he's made as an NFL player, I don't think that's a very appealing route for most guys who are in his position, let alone just Eddie George. So for him to be able to step into a head coaching job right away, it's interesting because he hasn't had the coaching experience, but as long as he's got it's the same thing with Deion Sanders, if you get the right staff around you and you work as a good figurehead for the program and you're able to help sell that program, I think it works out really well for all parties. I... um I think it's great. I mean, I think it's great for the game. It's great for HBCUs. Uh, it's great for Eddie George. I'm a little bit skeptical, like that it does feel like a copycat hire, right? Like, and Deion Sanders has wanted to get into coaching for a while. He's Florida been coaching State the coaching school. candidate, Deion Sanders. He, he, yeah, remember that? Remember the bottom line of ESPN and NFL Network and everywhere else, CBS Sports? It was, hey, he's going, you know, he wants to be, he's in, in the mix. He has won it. It's been a goal of his. I know Eddie George pretty well. Uh, he was my year, came out. I've interviewed him on the radio a bunch of times. Every time I see him, it's always great. I He's been on Broadway. He's a very eclectic dude, like very smart, great guy, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He's done a lot of different things. Never heard him talk about coaching. Like, And he's mentored players, so maybe that's got him – into that, man, this is kind of getting my juices flowing. I like being around the game. He mentored Derrick Henry there for the Titans. Um, so I think he's a, a successful person in life, which generally successful successful people figure it out. But it just makes me nervous that it's a copycat hire. Like the first one is great. The second one, I don't know. But I think what you guys hit on is critical. They staff hiring, give them some experience. Uh, Dominique Rogers Cromartie's on the staff already there, so he'll keep him. Another big name. Uh, if he's talking to Jeff Fisher, who if that's the rumor that he's talking to him is advising him. That's great. So I think those things are all critical. The other thing that this made a ton of sense for me is I wasn't aware where Tennessee State was exactly. It's in Nashville. Yeah, Eddie George mm -hmm. has a great. You know, it's a great city. You don't have to move anywhere to some podunk, podunk, sleepy college town in the middle of Mississippi somewhere. Um, you know, so it makes sense. It's not too much of a lifestyle change. The other thing I would have said, and this is what's unique, and I don't know if this changes much, but when Dion was hired at Jackson State, I'm like, man, I wonder if he's going to give up all the stuff he's doing with Barstool and how he's got this brand it hasn't slowed him down one bit, you know? And so Eddie George probably can still do some of the things he wants to do and still be the coach. And he's looking at Dion saying, Hey, he's still out there. He's still building his own personal brand while he's the head coach at Jackson state. I can do the same. Like, why not? And if either one of them have success, 
they could parlay it into a better, bigger job at a power five school or maybe a group of five school first. But if they're looking to get into coaching circles, I think Tom hit on a great point. One of the reasons I didn't get into coaching because I did not want to be a offensive quality control coach or an Mm -hmm. assistant, you know, like the GA who's making the pictures for the scout team. If you would have told me I could be a head coach right away, Man, I would have considered it because it's nice to be the head guy. You don't have to do all the grunt work. And so that probably makes it a lot more appealing for these guys too. Danny, (laughs) on every Friday on CBSSports.com on the college football uh, page, we do this post called Staff Picks. And normally it's like taking a – uh, some topic from the week and at the end of the week we all you know like we did uh you know for march madness we see college football players that we want to see on the in on a college basketball that we think could dominate in the ncaa tournament you know who is going to have a ridiculous pro day next year you know trying to look for the athletic freaks can i name you because our topic for this week is what <laughs> former college star do you want to see just jump into coaching right away? Can can you be my staff pick for this Let's week? Go. Okay. Let's go. Let's right. go. I think be severely like severely disappointed that it wasn't going to be Peyton Manning is going to be probably draft pick. Any any former Tennessee player at that job? Like you're kidding me? Jason Witten, Peyton Manning, like they'll be the the number one picks there that everybody go with. Well, yeah, throw it out there. Okay. Let's start some rumors. Okay. Let's go. Mike Norvell, hot going. seat. <laughs> I because I, I, I'm I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, well, the Cover Three podcast has already sent one to Vanderbilt. So we could like, this has really become the cradle of coaches uh, here at the cover three podcast. Let's go. Yeah. Look for it on Friday, Danny. I'll I'll be sure to have a good write up for you. How many other college football podcasts have a coaching tree? Huh? How many? Just saying, I'm just saying, uh, and I don't see, I don't see Dan Rubenstein coaching anywhere. (laughs) You know, where's Ty Hilton brand at? Who's he coaching? So, uh, (laughs) the, like, like Ed Tutal Jones is not going to be resonating with like we talked about all the NFL players that have come out of Tennessee State. It has been a minute. Like that is going to be one thing that could really uh, start to jump things off. You mentioned the Nashville Nashville connection. They play in the Titan Stadium. Like that could be a really cool experience because you know uh, no one is asking for uh, Eddie George's badge around that stadium. Like he could be able to take recruits like all over that place. You know, be able to uh, really really show out. And you mentioned him being so eclectic because I like, guess not just the the Broadway um, and acting career, but isn't he like a like licensed financial advisor? successful like businessman like somebody who has continued to remain part of the nashville business community like i i think that there are so many opportunities give eddie george time and he will find ways to be able to capitalize on all of those different talents that he has take a little bit here a little bit there and and try to invest them all in tennessee state i i think it's really exciting can we recklessly speculate about something heck yes sure that I actually did Google, so that's my speculation. What do you think he's making? Has it been reported? And like, what do you think Dion is making at Jackson State? I looked up HBCU coaching salaries, and it seemed to be like 160 was a number that I got coming back from a couple ones. And yeah. granted, like, neither one needs money, but right. I wonder if they're doing it for the going rate, if they're a little bit more than that. If they're requiring more, I don't know, because money is an interesting part of this equation. You well, know? Dion, Dion got a four-year $1.2 million deal. So he's making like 300 grand a year. That includes right. like bonuses and all that kind of stuff. So I'm imagining if he's getting 300 grand a year, I would say Eddie George is probably getting less than that. Mm-hmm. So I would say probably in that 150, 200 range, because you know, Dion is Dion. Well, command more, you know, there's also the, uh, there's, there's two parts of that argument that become interesting when we've got the, the form, like, I, I imagine that a new deal might be coming, but, uh, if I remember correctly, like Jawan Howard's Michigan deal is not like the argument is, uh, based on your previous coaching experience and based on like what the market is out there. You know, we believe that this is a fair salary now after taking Michigan to, um, is that a real Big Ten regular season title? 
Tom? <laughs> <laughs> after after getting a Big Ten regular season title, Big Ten Coach of the Year, taking Michigan all the way to the Elite Eight, I imagine that he's he's due for uh, potentially renegotiated contracts. But same thing with Eddie George. You say like, well, you know, based on uh, your previous coaching experience, like you know, this is the starting point, that, and then we will take off from there. Cannot wait to write about Danny Cannell. I mean, Barrett jumped out with Tebow early, so I mean, I, I oh, got it. I got to be able to put you. I got to be able to put you up against Tim Tebow as the best college star uh, to come in and join hey, the sideline. You never heard me knocked as not being able to handle the playbook. So that's all I'll <laughs> yeah. say. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> and you also have a throwing motion that looks like somebody who knows how to throw. <laughs> But that doesn't help you coach. That doesn't help no, you coach. But yeah. I'm just saying, at least I think I trust you to teach somebody how to throw more than I trust. <laughs> so uh, coming up this weekend, we've got something very, very exciting. We are going to be having uh, a CBS Sports HQ commitment from a four-star offensive tackle named Keontae Goodwin. Uh, it is going to be, you know, a, an opportunity for potentially – Maybe the Kentucky Wildcats. Now, this is a four-star offensive tackle who's got a lot of the big names uh, all after him. So what's going to happen? Remember, it's going to be on Saturday on CBS Sports HQ for a little bit more. Here's our good friend, Mr. Bud Elliott. Four-star offensive tackle Keontae Goodwin commits Saturday evening on CBS HQ. He'll be picking from a list which includes Alabama, Clemson, Kentucky, Michigan State, and Ohio State. And don't count out the Wildcats, who have been surging on the 24-7 sports crystal ball for the number six offensive tackle in the country. From Charlestown, Indiana, Goodwin is an imposing figure at 6'7 and 300 pounds. He's been on the recruiting scene since he was 13 years old and has worked hard to reshape his body. Goodwin is the number 54 player in the top 247, so be sure to check out his announcement on CBS HQ. Again, that will be Saturday night, Keontae Goodwin committing on CBS Sports HQ, cbsportshq.com. You can catch it in the CBS Sports app or through any of your connected devices. Can I call my shot? Yeah. Kentucky. That's what the crystal ball saying. <laughs> I mean, listen, I I am uh I'm a, I'm I'm a Wilt Fong follower. Steve Wilt Fong 24/7 Sports. When it, whenever you see him be able to uh, make a move on somebody and feel feel confident about his pick. Eh, he he's got a pretty good hit rate, and uh, and he is I believe he is in on uh, Kentucky. And so hey, going to get a, a shocker. Kentucky might have a good offensive line. They're going they're going to going to get a good offensive tackle from Indiana. Uh, great work by Stoops and the rest of that staff if they're able to do it. Coming up on the other side. Going back a couple years, and we've got a lot of hires that are still in place. We review the 2016-2017 coaching carousel next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. We've told you about all things covered. Man, they've been rolling through the guest list, the superstars, the draft picks are coming through. It is all things covered with Patrick Peterson and Bryant McFadden. Uh, BMAC and Patrick Peterson, this time 
are getting Greg Rousseau. He's talking about the draft process. He also opened up a little bit about why he opted out for the 2020 season. It wasn't necessarily the same story as everyone else, uh, though he did get grouped in with the rest of the potential draft picks that were opting out. His mom was a, a COVID nurse, you know, so some some of that uncertainty w- was definitely hitting close to home. He talks about playing wide receiver in high school and making the switch. That's one of the reasons that so many are very, very excited about what his potential could be. Um, you know, so far, he thinks that the Titans, Cowboys, Giants, Eagles, Falcons, Jaguars, all gotten good feelings from them. So he talks about it and sort of, you know, hints at, you know, where he might end up. Uh, so check it out wherever you get your podcast. It is all things covered with Patrick Peterson and Bryant McFadden with Gregory Russo, one of the top edge rushers in the draft. That's all things covered. Download it wherever you get this podcast. We have breaking news from Jeff Goodman. Been told that the NCAA is going to track IP addresses for those in the transfer portal and come down hard on the coaches who have given their passwords to non-coaches. What do we think? The NCAA doing some sleuth work. It is tracking IPs, ladies and gentlemen, to catch <laughs> the coaches who are giving away the transfer portal information. All right. So when I thought it was public information. No. Mm-hmm. So wait, wait, wait. Explain this to me. This coaches is like because there's, you know, to, to see the transfer portal, there's like a login and it's like Netflix. Well, I go there's to I go to twenty four seven sports to check the transfer portal or cbssports.com. That's not the same. Like that's well, not the transfer portal. Like it, there's more in there than that. That's the transfer portal. It's just someone. <laughs> that's some, why this is really dumb. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe you know, we're not supposed to have that certain Netflix login that you know. <laughs> But no, like you're that's it's supposed to be private information that is obviously become very much public. But I will say, while it's incredibly dumb that this is what the NCAA is choosing to spend its time doing now, <laughs> I, I do not like the fact that the transfer portal is public. Because oh, interesting. I, I think that, you know, most of the kids that enter are leaving, but some kids don't leave. Some kids are genuinely just trying to see you know, what's out there. I'm better out there. Gosh, that would drive me nuts if I was the coach. I know, but I hate when it becomes public for a kid who maybe just, you know, is like, all right, I'm just going to see, not really interested in leaving, but just wants to know if something else is out there and a kid will come back. But then like the fan reaction, you'll see like, you know, players get crapped on by fans of their own school just for entering the portal. And it's like you expose the kid to all this abuse when, he might not really even be planning to leave. So it's, I, I, I wish it wasn't public. I just, I don't think there's anything that really good that comes out of it for the players when it's publicized. How does the NCAA get jurisdiction to track it IP doesn't. addresses? I mean, this it is doesn't. like, like, I mean, didn't we have to throw out half of the Miami NCAA case because they just tried to like jump on top of existing like legal proceedings? Like, are they going to try and get like, things to stick on Jeff Goodman so that they're like, yeah, let's track him because he's nefarious and tell us when he's getting to the transfer portal. I'm going to, I'm going to start a cartoon. I'm going to pitch a cartoon to like one of the streaming services, maybe Paramount plus called like NCAA PI. Yeah. Hey, and yeah, how, how is all the resources that the NCAA has been limited to now we're tracking IP addresses. No, I don't, I don't like it. I'm going to show them the constitution. That's my transfer portal passport. All right. Let's go. Blade just is like a bumbling private investigator. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't know it was supposed to be private. Yeah, I just no, always assumed because be we all know that it's out there. Yeah. I mean, ever since the thing was created, coaches would just, first of all, they would just tell people like reporters, you know, off the record, obviously, but they'd be like, Hey, this guy's in the portal, you know? And then it just became, can I get your login? <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, I think that that's what's happened is there's enough uh, assistant coaches and recruiting coordinators that have given their login out. So great point, Tom, like how Netflix is trying to crack down on multiple logins from multiple places. The NCAA transfer portal is going to try to crack down like, Oh, sorry, we got to boot you. You're already logged in over there in uh, Nashville. And you know where this leads to where the NCAA is selling access to the transfer portal for four 99 a month. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is so dumb. That is so dumb. Okay. 
let's take a look. Let's dig in. Let's jump in the time machine and head back to uh, the 2016-2017 coaching carousel. Now, for uh, you know, at, at the Power Five at the highest levels, it was a coaching carousel that actually uh, lasted kind of long because officially, uh, Les Miles was fired in September, late September of uh, 2016. Then Bob Stoops retired in the off season, almost like summer of 2017. So we're, we're taking uh, Ed Ogeron as the new LSU coach at one bookend. You know, he was interim first, then got the head job. And we're stretching it all the way to Lincoln Riley. By my count, 21 jobs changed hands, 12 of them. And again, that feels like a very, very high clip are still there. And it's an impressive list. It is a list that includes, as I mentioned, Lincoln Riley, uh, three college football playoff appearances. It includes Ed Ogeron uh, winning a national championship. It includes uh, the likes of uh, Luke Fickle, who's taken Cincinnati to heights it hasn't seen since Brian Kelly. It includes Tom Allen, who's taken Indiana to heights not seen since the 1990s. Danny's boy, Brent Brennan, getting San Jose State to just an epic season. Uh, Tim Lester's done a good job at Western Michigan. P.J. Fleck, double-digit win season at Minnesota. Uh, just real quickly, the the jobs that are all still being held by the, the same coaches, Justin Wilcox at Cal, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, Randy Edsel at UConn, Butch Davis at FIU, Sean Elliott at Georgia State, Tom Allen at Indiana, Jay Norvell at Nevada, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, PJ Fleck at Minnesota, Jeff Brom at Purdue, Brent Brennan at San Jose State, Tim Lester at Western Michigan, Ed Ogeron at LSU. Now there are... got one. Which one? Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina. Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina. Great call. Thank you. Um, Four coaches who were hired in this cycle left the job they were hired to uh, to go and take another job. Matt Rule was hired at Baylor during this coaching carousel. He he left to take the Carolina Panthers job. Lane Kiffin was hired at FAU. He left to take uh, the Ole Miss job. Willie Taggart was hired at Oregon. He left one year later for Florida State. The, the coaching carousel that we've already discussed, he has since been fired. Jeff Collins at Temple, he left to take Georgia Tech. Only four out of the 22 coaches were fired at the job they were hired to during this coaching cycle. Matt Luke at Ole Miss, that was another interim situation. Charlie Strong at USF. Tom Herman at Texas. I mean, those two both be in here. I mean, just... It pairs too nicely together. And then Mike Sanford at Western Kentucky. Jeff Tedford is no longer at Fresno State, though he resigned. He had two double-digit win seasons, had a bad 3-9 and nine season in 2019, but had to resign because of health reasons. So uh, I guess I, I want to start with this question. Of the coaches who are still in place, who are hired, do you think any of them are on the hot seat heading into this season? I mean, Orgeron's kind of on the hot seat right now, isn't he? Fair. Even though he just won a national title, but it might not necessarily be all about things on the field at the moment, although they are coming off, you know, a bad year for what their expectations were. So I think I think you could say Orgeron's on the hot seat uh, elsewhere. Uh, so Butch Davis went winless. But yeah, is anybody ever really on the hot seat at FIU? That's And that's that's like a... Like, FIU's got Butch Davis. Butch Davis is a a good football coach. Butch Davis likes being at FIU because that's like, it's home, right? I mean, he's Mm -hmm. he's right there. Uh, I don't know if FIU, if it made a move on Butch Davis, if it's, I don't don't know what the the unknown door would be. So I I would not consider Butch Davis on the hot seat. Randy Edsel at UConn, I I don't know. I mean, I I would not necessarily call that hot seat. Their football team is on the hot seat. I was going to say, the program's (laughs) on the hot seat. (laughs) But uh, elsewhere, I mean, this whole list of coaches that are still in place kind of seems like, uh, I mean, we don't do home run hires necessarily, but man, it's it's strong. And at the time, I didn't necessarily think that. I wasn't blown away by a bunch of these hires thinking that they were for sure going to have the kind of success, especially when measured against the expectations that we have for all of them. Randy Etzel might have been ones that was a home run hire coming back to UConn. That might have been one. I thought, I, looking at this list, I think 
And now, granted, I have to go back and look at the different coaching classes of each year. But my initial reaction with kind of like yours, Chip, was this feels like a, you know, we talk about the quarterback class of 83 or the Eli, Big Ben, Phillip Rivers class of quarterbacks. The names that are on here and the success they've had or the success they had and parlayed it like a Matt Rule at, at Baylor, like – this is really, really an impressive class of coaching hires when you look at the total group. Yes, there are some colossal busts in there, but even a Tom Herman who was fired from Texas, I mean, was it, it wasn't that bad. They just thought they had something better. Like, I mean, it's kind of like that's what we've talked about that ad nauseum when we talked about Sark getting hired. Yes, there have been some bad ones. Unfortunately, in this class, Willie Taggart is included, so that kind of brings down the whole class. But from the whole... I mean, and and Tom brought up a great one with Jamie Chadwell. Like, what a home run hire that was that nobody probably even mentioned. It was probably one of those throwaways at the bottom of the article. Well, we'll see how this goes. But there have been some phenomenal hires in this class. You know, this is this is a solid class overall. And it's weird because you think of, like, the way that we felt at the time about it, whereas right now, like, Ed Orgeron is the one on the hot seat, but Ed Orgeron has won a national title. And if we go back to this coaching carousel and the way everybody felt about it, We'll remember that it was LSU in Texas battling for Tom Herman. Yes. And, and then LSU kind of like Ed Orgeron, LSU was just kind of keeping like as its side, you know, hustle like, all right, yeah, yeah, no, no, let's keep it. We're, we're talking to this, this guy over here. And then when Tom Herman fell through, LSU was like, yeah, no, Ed Orgeron's the guy we wanted all along. We love the culture and blah, blah, blah. So he was like a runner up choice at LSU. He won a national title. And then a year later, Tex, Texas is firing Tom Herman. So it's just, it's 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 a nice reminder of how the way we feel about hires at the time when they happen don't necessarily correlate to what's going to happen in the long run because i think probably the second highest overall graded hire of that cycle was probably pj fleck at minnesota which i think has worked out pretty well for minnesota but like you mentioned danny i think taggart at oregon was a mostly widely like oh that's a good hire and it might have been but he was only there for a year so we never really found out and I think I, I remember Jeff Brom. I was very excited about it, Purdue, and I'm still a very big Jeff Brom guy, but I don't think that has worked out quite how I thought it was going to for Purdue. So it's 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 really interesting where there's there's really hard to find like an actual dud hire when you're going through this list of coaches of guys where it's like, oh well, maybe Mike Sanford at Western Kentucky, you can kind of give that as like that just didn't work out. But other than that, it's like not everybody's been a home runner at Grand Slam, but mostly all these guys were solid doubles. The uh yeah, Sanford only got two years. Two years and done. That's uh that's that's a, that's an itchy itchy trigger figure uh for and any now school. He's PJ Flex offensive coordinator. So our I was wanted to bring up the the Big Ten West boys right there because Jeff Brom and PJ Fleck. PJ Fleck has accomplished at least in terms of wins. Certainly, he is one at a higher level than Jeff Brom has, but they both have top 10 wins to their name. You know, Minnesota took down Penn state, uh, Purdue took down Ohio state. When does, cause they are going into year five. When does the pressure really start to pick up on a Jeff Brom or a PJ Fleck, uh, to the point where not winning the big 10 West might come out and start to change this conversation about uh, a hot seat or about sort of the way that we view uh, how they have performed as a head coach at their current school. I don't, I don't think there's pressure to win the division mm -hmm. on either one of them. I, I think that, you know, starting with Brom, I, I think if there's pressure on Brom heading into the fifth year, it's that the team has kind of regressed in every single season. Like he, he showed up that first season, brought in a lot of transfers and they went seven and six and the, the idea at the time was he brought in all those transfers because they needed that they wanted to win right away, but they, they were also recruiting well because they were building for the future and they have recruited well, particularly, I mean, for, for Purdue and where Purdue had been recruiting, it's just that hasn't really translated into wins because the next season they went from seven and six to six and seven, but still two bowl seasons in a row, which compared to the way Purdue football had been before that in the Daryl Hazel era, that was great. But then there was the four and eight 2019, and then last year it was two and four. Now, of course, last year, again, as we've discussed during the spring gleaning episodes, and we'll be discussing all offseason, who knows how much we could really take away 
from last season as far as what's real and what's not. But, you know, it doesn't help that like a star player like Rondale Moore was hurt a lot and missed a lot of time. And that really kind of impacted what that offense was able to do. But they still have guys like David Bell on that offense, which were excellent. And there's still reason to be optimistic. So I don't think Purdue's got to win the West, but I do think that it's important for Jeff Brom to get to a bowl game this year if, you know, or else, you know, the heat could really start turning up if there's another losing season. As for Fleck, I mean, we're talking about a guy who, who won the division in 2019. I think that's bought him plenty of time at Minnesota. And last year, disappointing, three and four, coming off of an 11-win season. But again, the 2020 season, who knows? And for me, what's interesting for Fleck going into year five is like we saw him at Western Michigan take over a program, go one and 11, eight and five, eight and five. And then the 13 and one year got to the Cotton Bowl that got him the Minnesota job. He comes to Minnesota, five and seven, seven and six, 11 and two, three and four. But what we haven't seen so far from PJ Fleck in his career is we obviously know his, his style works for building things up. Can it maintain or does the effect, the Fleck effect kind of start to wear off over time? And I think that's what's interesting and what I'm going to be keeping track of going to year five. I think his job is totally safe. I don't think unless something crazy happens off the field or the bottom just completely drops out, I don't see a scenario where P.J. Fleck's not still coaching Minnesota a year from now. Well, at the risk of picking nits, they did blow it and gave up Paul Bunyan's axe. Wisconsin ended up stealing the division. It was all right there for them, and they couldn't get it. And what was that? It was like a crazy, snowy, weird game. And I remember at the time, I was like, hmm, I wonder if this ends up coming to to bite them on the other side. Uh, yeah, Wisconsin, they won Paul Bunyan's axe in 2018, but Wisconsin beat them in 2019, 38-17, and won last year, 20-17. to So, uh I would say technically, technically they were tied for first in the division. Like how Minnesota was technically the regular season Big Ten basketball champion this year. Michigan, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, sorry. I do think you bring up something really interesting though, and I would agree with you. I think Jeff Brom has to deliver more uh, to secure his job for a longer term. If they struggle, if it's a four or five win season, I think you're going to see some restless Purdue fans. If P.J. Fleck had a four or five win season. I think there'd be frustration, but it'd be like, hey, the guy won 11 games not that long ago. We're not firing him just yet. So clearly there. But what I do think you think uh, what you brought up is very interesting because P.J. Fleck does, he has that very clear salesman-y, sales pitch, you know, mantra, row the boat, and that's just one of them. You know, you're selling almost every day you're selling some sort of motivational tactic, which is a big part. And that can win in college. But how long does it resonate? How long do you maximize the mood, the energy? Like, yeah, you can bring energy every day, but energy can only get you so far. And at some point, those messages start to fall flat a little bit with players. So it has to go to talent that you're putting on the field or scheme that you're building on, uh, that you're putting on the field. So that to me is still a factor that does have to play out for PJ Fleck that he has to show, Hey, you can sustain the messaging, but you're evolving and getting better in reaching new heights other than just, we're going to try really hard. We're going to run to every drill and I'm going to sprint when, you know, during a timeout and all that stuff, which is great, but it, it's not enough. It's kind of, it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors at times, which can bring you better results, but I don't know if it gets you sustained results. And that's the big question mark that we're, we're trying to figure out. So we've got, uh, you know, those coaches at the top, we mentioned some of the success at the power conference level. I'm going to read off a, a couple of group of five. I'm not going to include Luke Fickle here because I can we, can we consider him sort of in a different class? Like, I don't, I don't want to pair him necessarily with a Sean Elliott or with a Jay Norvell. So, Sean Elliott at Georgia State, Jay Norvell at Nevada, Brent Brennan at San Jose State, Tim Lester at Western Michigan, Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. Of those coaches, where are you investing your stock? Like, who, which of those stocks do you want to uh, get in on and – where, like, who do you think is going to be either making a move or if you were uh, leading the cover three search committee, hire us. We will undercut all the executive search firms. Uh, we can be very cheap and give you results just as good. 
uh, Bud's our fall guy. He handles all the legal sides. <laughs> um, so who who of those guys do you think you would look at and be like, that's someone who, if I'm a Power 5 coach looking to make a change after the 2021 season, that's someone who I want to go and interview, and that's someone who I may be interested in offering the job to. This isn't just recency bias, but it's got to be Jamie Chadwell. Because it's, it's not just the success that Coastal Carolina just had. It's that of those coaches, like, you know, Brennan just had a great season at San Jose State. Conference champ. Conference champion. But the difference to me is Chadwell's doing something differently. And his offense is very interesting to me, what he was able to do with that coastal offense. Because it it is kind of like a triple option offense, but not a triple option. It doesn't look like a triple option offense, even if it kind of really is at all its core and what it's doing. And I think that, you know, as a former quarterback, I think we're, we're seeing – just the trend in coaching at both the NFL and college level is to get like, you know, it's play, it's play callers, guys who can design plays, guys who can scheme correct, you know, interesting new things to get an edge on your opponent, to put points on the board. And I think of those candidates that you mentioned, I think Chadwell is the one that has kind of shown the ability to do that already and has the highest ceiling because what he's, he's still only 44. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's, so if I get him, depending on where I am, like if I hire him at a P5 job, like if I was, you know, uh, it's not open this year, like obviously South Carolina hired Shane Beamer. But if a South Carolina-esque job brought in Jamie Chadwell, that's somebody who might be able to help, you know, do what Spurrier did for us or help get us up to a level. And yeah, maybe he leaves for another Power 5 gig later if he's done that well, but that would be great for me because it means he did really well for us. Or maybe salaries are at a point where I could keep them there if he's winning, doing well enough. So I, so I think if I'm an AD, if, if coastal has another good season, and I don't mean like a top 15, top 10 season, cause I think it's going to be a lot more difficult for a group of five teams to finish ranked that high in a, in a normal season. I think he's gotta be one of the top candidates next year. I'll be, he's the, He's the number one pick out of this group for sure. I don't know if it's close. And again, it's point out that Luke Fickle is not included in this conversation because he's probably going to get that opportunity before. He's been anointed pretty much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, he's in his own class. But I would say out of this group, it does resonate. But at the same time, I'm wondering, and this is probably why he didn't get that opportunity too. I do think he needs to do it one more year. Like I, if I, and I don't think it has to be another 11 win season, mm -hmm. but I think a nine win season with some nice wins and maybe a conference championship, I think would be enough for me to see. Plus I'm trying to think who I've met in person or talked to, you know, in a radio interview, a couple of them, like I've, I've met with Lester in person, covered some of their games, um, talked to Chadwell a few times on the radio. Like uh, it does, like he does bring, like he's, there's an attraction to his personality, which I do think is a big part of it. I do. And it, it, some hires are made solely on that. I don't think that's a smart thing to do. Um, I remember thinking that about Eli Drinkwitz, like didn't really know much about him. Talked to him a few times in interviews and he was fun, kind of relaxed. There was a confidence about him. And you're like, okay, this like, this makes sense. So you kind of get on board with it. I have that same sense and you guys know how it is. And it's with anybody. You meet somebody in a room or you meet somebody and you're kind of like, oh, there's something special about them. I did get that vibe from Chadwell. You know, so I think that has a lot to do with it too. And if you parlay, if you put in the results in there too, then it's like, okay, this is what makes sense. By the way, Luke Fickle was, has been for the past several years, one of my favorite interviews to do. He does not care. He doesn't give you coach speak. He has a confidence about him. The only thing I'm mad about him is their one game this year. I interviewed him before. And like two hours after we did the interview, it comes out their game is canceled. And I was like, he could have thrown us a bone and like broke some news <laughs> on the radio show. But like, and I think, you know, some of that comes from him being a former player. He's very confident. He's had that. But just a real ease of personality. Because some coaches, I mean, look at an NFL, Adam Gase, one of the most non-personal guys you'll ever see. And granted, you don't have to recruit in the NFL, but there are a lot of football coaches who don't know to know how to talk to anybody about anything except for football. And it's kind of awkward. And I think that matters. Like, I, and I think those guys are great coordinators because you don't have to deal with media boosters, fans, recruits. And I think that's a big deal. Jamie Chadwell was the one, some of the national coach of the year honors this past season. Uh, and I'm not throwing a lot of cold water, but 
conference records last three years, eight and oh, boom. But two and six the year before that, two and six the year before that. So if you wanted to at least say, I'd like to see another year, uh, I definitely understand uh, that hesitation. And to your point about Luke Fickle, I loved they tried on all of those like playoff selection committee uh, or like selection committee reveals or ranking reveals. They tried to get him on there and just like jump down the committee's throat and he did not take the bait. The whole time he was like, yeah, well, I mean, you know, if we'd gotten to play Ohio State and beaten them, yeah, sure, entertain it. But that's, I mean, we'll take what we can get. Like, he <laughs> was so down to earth. He was not going to fight. Like, I'm sure that even, uh, I'm sure that, like, I don't want to put words in uh, the man's mouth, but I'm sure that Mike Oresco, the American Athletic Conference commissioner behind closed doors, was like, come on, like, at <laughs> least, like, beat the table a little bit. I, I begged him to, because <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm a expand, I'm captain UCF, like, let's crown them national champs. And he was like, well, we don't have the resources those guys do. You look at the recruiting classes, we're not quite as great. You know, like he was just blunt about it. And it was kind of just matter of fact, but it was still entertaining at the same time. But he he doesn't. He's not gonna, he's not gonna give you that used car salesman pitch, which a lot of coaches would have done in that circumstance. And I probably would have done it too. Yeah, I a hundred percent. I would have taken the bait, I would have acted it up, I would have just turned it up to 10 and just gone all for it. Uh, all right, so we haven't spent a lot of time on this review uh, discussing Lincoln Riley because it seems like the easiest like thumbs up. Like We were excited about it at the time because of what he had done in two years as an offensive coordinator, and he has done nothing but continue to prove that it was the right decision for Bob Stoops to make to keep that program in good hands. Three college football playoff uh, appearances in four years, four Big 12 titles in four years, we're going to be talking about Oklahoma as one of the darlings of the 2021 season. You know, will they not only get to the college football playoff, but win a game? Can they win two games and compete for a national championship? So I don't think that we can uh, leave this conversation with at least uh, some sort of either like, were you as confident uh, at the time? What do you think the next step is? And I guess outside of just sort of saying the easy two thumbs up a plus, you know, what, what's impressed you? What do you feel like you've learned about Lincoln Riley during his time as Oklahoma's head coach? Uh, at the time of the hire, I, I wouldn't say I gave it an A+, plus, but I thought it was a very logical, very sound hire. And it was also, I think for me personally, there was kind of a confidence in the hire just because I felt like if Bob Stoops was comfortable enough to retire when he retired and be like, yeah, no, I'm leaving it in pretty good hands. Like, I was like, okay, well, if Bob Stoops is feeling that way about this guy, there's probably something to it. Now, I didn't know, I didn't sit there and think that, you know, they're going to just run roughshod over the Big 12 and go to the playoff every year, blah, blah, blah. But that's what they've been doing. And I, it's just, it's, it was a good hire then. It's a good hire now. What they need to work on, I think, is they need to recruit. They recruit very well, but they need to recruit better if they're not just going to be a Big 12 champion team that gets to the playoff year in and year out and then, you know, loses. Like, if they're really going to compete for national titles, they've got to step up their game in some areas a little bit higher than where they're at now. And I, I think that they're fully capable of doing that. I was more speculative of saying, man, 32 years old, taking over a program like Oklahoma – and haven't really seen him much. And you talk about the personal aspect. We were just talking about that. Didn't know what he was all about. Comes out, you know, he's, he's got, he's a good interview, but I don't think he blows you away with some sort of enthusiasm or some message that he's selling like a lot of coaches do. So I was definitely curious of it. Um, but I think he's, I mean, clearly he's knocked it out of the park. And I think one of the things that's most impressive is his evolution into recognizing their weaknesses and trying to address them. I mean, what they've done on the defensive side of the ball, they have gotten better since they brought in Alex Grinch. I think they've tried to recruit to that side of the ball. I think he brought more of a, a physicality to the offense that maybe they even had before he was there calling plays. Like, I think he's wanted to say, hey, we're not just a finesse, throw the ball over the yard team. We can ram it down your throat. Um, and I think he is singularly focused on 
what they do to catch up to Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama, the same teams in this conversation. And I know they're there in the conversation, and they were so close against Georgia in the Rose Bowl in overtime, but he doesn't want to just be satisfied with Big 12 championships and playoff appearances. He wants to take this team to a place that it hasn't been since that uh, championship was it 2002. He wants to get it back there. Uh, to where it was. So, I, I mean, you got to be absolutely thrilled with where this program is headed with Lincoln Riley. The moment that I looked at Lincoln Riley in a new light was when, in early October of 2018, he fired Mike Stoops mm-hmm. to take over for Bob Stoops, keep Mike around, and then have the courage and the confidence to say to all the Oklahoma fans and all the Oklahoma boosters and and anybody who <clears throat> maybe was still going to be loyal to Mike Stoops and to the Stoops family, he came out and said uh, the Mike Stoops dismissal was, quote, my decision. You know, this is something that I think that we need to do to be able to, to fix this Oklahoma defense. We need to have new leadership here. I thought that uh, I thought that took a pair, right? I mean, like I understand that we all knew during that 2018 season that the defense was bad, but that is still very early into Lincoln Riley's time as being head coach. And so to come out there in the middle of the season, uh, I thought that was a big time statement to say, I, I am going to take control of this. This is not going to be like shadow Bob Stoops over the program and, I, and I'm just operating it. I, I I think that was cool, right? Or no, excuse me, not cool. Impressive from a professional standpoint, at least. Yeah. On this, on Friday, excuse me, uh, this weekend, you want to make sure that when you're, you know, doing your chores, when you're going on a run, mowing the lawn, hey, that's right. It's about to be lawn mowing season. You want to have that mailbag in your ears, I know you do. And if you want to submit a question to the mailbag, you can do so. Go to the Cover 3 podcast. Leave us a five-star review. In that review, include your question for the future mailbag episode. If we don't get to it on Friday morning's episode, we will get to it in the future. It's all in the big old bag of mail. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Canell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.